Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. So Acts chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, and verse 15 to 26. And the verse especially that I want to use to concentrate our thoughts uh, for a few minutes this evening is Acts chapter 11 and verse uh, 23. Barnabas, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that they, with purpose of heart, that they would cleave unto the Lord. Well, at this point in the history of the church, the first Gentile Christians have been converted. And Peter has returned to Jerusalem and he has reported to the church council there, let's call it the presbytery, for the sake of a better word. And remember that that Stephen's death, after Stephen's death, persecution had broken out in Jerusalem. And the elders of the church had remained there in Jerusalem while the believers and the deacons had spread out far and wide and they'd been carrying the gospel message with them everywhere they went. And the elders that were remaining at Jerusalem must have been surprised. Peter had entered the home of a Gentile. Remember that to a righteous Jew, a Gentile was unclean. It was a dog. Um, so to go into such a home, to eat with such a man, to dialogue with such a man would have been unthinkable for a Jew. And his defense is then recorded in the part of chapter 11 where he tells of his, I use the word trance because it's in the scriptures, that that, uh, that call from heaven, the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go with the men from Caesarea to go in the way which the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the new believers there and to see what had happened and the elders hearing Peter believed what the Lord had done. Now, the scene switches to a place called Antioch. The focus is not going to be on Peter now so much but upon Paul. And another new figure is introduced to us, a man who we see as the great encourager of the brethren at Antioch, a man called Barnabas. Now, Antioch was about 280 miles from Jerusalem. Very great contrast. It was the place where Luke lived, the physician, and probably the home of Theophilus, where this man, where this book was originally written for. And it was the place where the disciples were first called Christians. And we'll come to that in a couple of weeks' time. And it was to Antioch that some of those persecuted Christians from Jerusalem had fled after the persecution that took Stephen's life. And as always, wherever Christians go, the gospel goes with them. Many were converted. And a great number Turn to the Lord, because the hand of the Lord was upon them. So when we get to Antioch, we find Barnabas. And when he came, it says in verse 23, when he came and seen the grace of God. 
Now, we want to see here tonight the grace of God being presented to him. Grace of God in presentation. And then the grace of God issued in praise. And then the grace of God in respect of perseverance of the saints. The grace of God in presentation. When he came and seen the grace of God. Barnabas had seen the grace of God at work. Now that's really important because how do you see the grace of God at work? Now if you were a Pentecostal, you would be reading this text, and I've heard this said in the past in my, in my younger days. I've heard this text preached on. And certain people would say, well, what did, what did Barnabas see that he could see the grace of God? And they would take you, for example, into a charismatic meeting where you would see things happening around you. And you would see people falling down and you would see people uh, exhibiting strange behavior patterns, laughing and roaring and shouting and speaking in some form of gibberish at loud volumes. Well, what would Barnabas have seen? He would have seen something like that, they would say. That's what he would have seen. He would have seen God at work. And they would look at those things and they would look at what they would call healings and miracles and they would say, that's God's grace at work. So we have to be very careful here that we don't fall into that trap. Barnabas had seen the grace of God at work. Now it's hard to see grace, to be fair. Grace is not a, grace is an abstract concept, isn't it? Like love. You can't see love. You can feel it. You can say it's a fact, but a man and a woman fall in love, and before you know it, there's a wee ring appears in the left hand. We had a very joyous occasion in church this morning. A wonderful day. Um, Jonathan, one of our friends who comes to church occasionally, came into church this morning, and his mommy, all nice and uh, happy announced that he'd just got engaged to a lovely Christian girl. I'm so pleased about that. It's good to see young people coming together and love growing eventually end up getting married, hopefully. Do you know, uh, love can't be seen, but the effects of it can be seen. And grace is a bit like that. Years ago, whenever I was in a, a church in County Antrim, there was a there was a man who worked on the roads and he came to church every Lord's Day morning and one morning on the way out through the, through the door he said to me, I wish you'd stop preaching using big words. Would you for goodness sake preach about tarmac? For I know what tarmac looks like and I don't know what those big words look like. So how do you explain grace? Well, when you see the grace of God, you can see it in changed, transformed lives. That's how he would have seen the grace of God. He would have seen it in the change that occurs in the soul. The Bible teaches us that if any man is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. That old things have passed away, that all things have become new. And what a wonderful change that is. A new life, it's a powerful change. It's a radical change. The Lord makes a radical change to the human heart and the human condition. It's not just a renovation. It's not just a clean up. It's not just getting your act together. It is a new creation. And it works itself out. That radical change that occurs within us works itself out in a different attitude to the outward appearance, to the body. The body and the soul are closely connected. Holiness in the soul will outwork itself in holiness in our outward physical and sensual activities, in our words and in our deeds. The Apostle Paul taught us, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When a person is born anew, born of God, born from above, there will be a change. There will be a desire within us to stop sinning. Sin will become repulsive to us. Filthy passions and relationships will end. The believer will no longer desire to live in conformity with the overtly sexualized culture of the ungodly world. The eyes will be repulsed by the imagery of secular culture. The lips that once uttered blasphemies and curses that took the name of the Lord in vain will no longer find that attractive. And the lips that uttered those blasphemies will instead sing the praise of the one who has redeemed us. And the ears that once listened to what is filthy will want to listen to what is wholesome and good, to reject the ungodly, blasphemous lyrics and the sensual rhythms of the pagan and secular environment of the secular entertainment industry. The inward change of the soul can be seen in the transformation of the outward life. Does that make sense? You will see the grace of God at work because Christians are inwardly changed, radically changed. And you cannot be radically changed within your soul without that having a profound impact on the way that your life is being lived. It's why I worry so much these days. When I see Christians living like the world, young fellow that I knew some time ago told me that he'd found a new way of witnessing. I, I, I asked him what he meant. What was this new way of witnessing? Well, him and a friend would, would go to the pub quiz on a Wednesday night. They belonged to a local Baptist church. 
evangelicals. But they decided to go to the pub quiz, and they went, and they sat in the pub quiz, and they enjoyed the pub quiz. I'm sure they were very good at it. They didn't drink. They bought a glass of Coca-Cola, or other forms of uh, soft drinks are also available. And they would sit, and they would join in the pub quiz. So I said to him, well, is that okay? Then if, I suppose what you do is, you know, pub quiz, you have to have a team. So you get the opportunity to talk to the other members of the team about the Lord. You know, in between the quiz questions, when the, when the rounds are over, you have the opportunity maybe to witness to some of the people in the pub. No. No, 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 that's not the idea. You've got that wrong. The idea is that we want people to see that Christians are just like everybody else and can't enjoy themselves just like everybody else does. And we're not odd or weird. Now, that's not witnessing. That's going to a pub quiz. That's all that is. That's not witnessing for the Lord. And to be honest with you, I started to wonder, if you're really a Christian, if you've really been radically changed, can you really sit there? I can understand going in to do evangelism, but just to sit in the midst of all that music and idle chat, foolishness, can you do it? Could you? Different attitude. The radical change that goes on in a Christian life through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit is so vast and great. It is a whole new life. Not just a new lifestyle. A new life. A new life in Christ. The old man is dead the mortification of sin has begun. And it works itself out. It must do in our outward life. In fact, we see that Barnabas here was a fine example of that. Barnabas wasn't one of these men who preached uh, and encouraged people and at the same time was living whatever way he wanted Barnabas, if you see it in verse 24, was someone who put these things into practice in his own life. You could see that he was a recipient of the grace of God. For it tells us there that Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and faith. And through him, much people were added to the Lord. He's a good man. I'm always worried about talking about good people uh, because none of us are good. Sure, we're not. The Bible says here that Barnabas was a good man. But our goodness comes from Christ. It doesn't come from us. That says a lot about Barnabas. It says that the inward change was work. He was becoming Christ-like. He was a good man because people could see Christ living in him. He was a man who would be moral and upright and just. A man who was living a life that was pleasing before the Lord. He was what every Christian should be. The outward aspects of his life reflecting what has incurred inwardly at his conversion. And he's a man who is full of the Holy Spirit. He's conscious of the leading and guiding of God 
in his own life. And he knows the guiding influence of the Holy Spirit. And he knows that self-discipline comes from the development, the sanctification that goes on in our lives. The fruits of the Spirit as the third person of the Trinity works within us. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. A man who simply believed and trusted in the Lord and accepted the Lord's purpose in his own life. So you can see the grace of God in changed lives. The second thing that we notice here about Barnabas is the grace of God in praise. Um, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. Gladdened his heart. So what the Lord was doing, he was glad. Well, sometimes when the Lord's people see the Lord at work in other places, it's not easy to be glad. Sometimes we hear reports of uh, revivals in other countries and we're suspicious because we worry that such reports could be due to external means, to whipped up emotions, to easy believism. And sometimes not only are we suspicious, but we're jealous because someone else is being used of God more than me. Or maybe we're self-critical because we think to ourselves, well, why is the Lord not using me? Am I doing something wrong? We need to be cautious. But when we do see a genuine work of God, it should rejoice our hearts. It should encourage us to pray for more. And so Barnabas was glad at what the Lord was doing. I'm sure he was glad internally. He'd heard that the gospel had been blessed with God's grace. He's visited the city. He's seen it for himself. The Lord is bringing sinners into his kingdom. Why would you not be glad? And for the sake of the sinners who'd been saved, what great joy to know that people are coming to know the Saviour, to know that a hell-bound sinner is on the road now to heaven and to home. The very angels in heaven are rejoicing when a sinner comes to Christ. He'd be glad, of course, for the sake of the church, because we're to pray for the church, not just our own local churches, but for the church that is the body of Christ, that it might be built and strengthened and prospered, wherever it is in the world. We're to pray for our spiritual family, for the kingdom of God to be multiplied, for God's army to be enlarged as it faces the eternal foe, for the church's boundaries to be extended. And when those prayers are answered, we rejoice and be glad. And we're glad for the sake of the Saviour. Because ultimately the preaching of the gospel and the saving of precious souls is also that honour and glory be given to Jesus. We rejoice when souls are saved for the Saviour's sake. Grace of God gladdens our hearts. When we see the Lord's hand at work, we're glad in the Lord and rejoice. And lastly, then, we see the grace of God 
in perseverance. Look at what else it tells us here. When he came and had seen the grace of God at work, he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Barnabas exhorted them to cleave unto the Lord. He encouraged the new Christians to remain very close to the Lord in their daily walk. What we have here is not some description of super-Christians, not some description of people who are more spiritual and more holy than anyone else. It's a description of the normal, steady Christian life. Barnabas has a task. He was commissioned by the elders at Jerusalem to go and to meet with these new believers. And he encourages them and he preaches the need for a daily walk with God. We were just talking about this after church this morning, some of us in a little group. Um, I don't know how socially distanced we were. But we were talking about this. One of our friends was telling us about a conference that she'd been to one time and she'd been listening to some great speaker and the speaker had talked about how the Lord had just laid something on her heart that very morning and sitting beside her was a minister's wife who nudged her and said the Lord never does that to me and I say yeah there's all these super spiritual people going about And they love to get up and tell you what the latest thing is that the Lord has said to them. That's not what Barnabas is encouraging here at Antioch. He's talking about the person of the steady walk. Just a steady walk. The pattern of the steady walk. And I had had to work really hard at this one. The parameters of the steady walk person of the steady walk is Jesus. He said to them here that they should cleave unto the Lord. There's many attractions, sorry, many distractions probably for the Christian on this earthly life, isn't there? There's many snares to trip up the unwary believer, young and old alike. There's false gods, there's false Christs, There's all sorts of pitfalls, so we must stay close to Jesus. We must keep our eyes fixed upon him. He keeps us safe in his care, and he protects us, and he brings us to glory. So we're to cleave to the Lord, cleave to his merits alone, for it's only through the work of Christ on the cross that we can be saved, grasp that, and And hold on to that. Cleave to his word alone. For the word of God is our guide. And our comfort in life and death. The word of God is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. Cleave to his Holy Spirit alone. For the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. And brings us closer to Christ. Cleave to the the ordinances of the church. Find comfort constantly and encouragement along the road by coming into the Lord's house and coming around the Lord's table and 
taking those elements that continually point us to Jesus, cleave to his church, our companions on the road to heaven. He encouraged them and exhorted them to cleave unto the Lord. But see the pattern. They were to do it with purpose of heart. This is a deliberate thing. I like 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 where Paul says, My beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Purpose of heart and the parameters of this steady walk is that Barnabas exhorted them all, every one of those believers. No one can be excluded from this demand for consistency in the Christian life because we all face temptation and we all face the same dangers whether we're young Christians or old. We all need the Saviour and we need to cleave unto the Lord with purpose of heart, every one of us. The Christian life is never a kind of high and low experience up and down experience where you go to church on the Lord's day and you get all whipped up and excited and ecstatic and then when Monday morning comes you're suffering from the Monday morning feeling and you're down in the dumps and depressed here's Barnabas exhorting these new Christians to live the Christian life in a consistent manner to pray, to read the Bible to attend to the sacraments to attend to the public worship of God steady growth, not fits and starts and highs and lows and yet not a standstill either so here's a new church and it's full of baby Christians just recently born again, brought into God's kingdom, doing a great work for God under Barnabas, their new pastor, their new encouragement. Like them, every single church can reach people for the Lord as they did. And the believers are faithfully witnessing for the Lord. And the church is showing interest in the wider work of the Lord here and abroad. And when elders and people are encouraging one another, develop, developing in steady Christian growth. Amen.